You're listening to Social Media Unlocked, episode number nine. So if you can, you know, really empower your employees to start publishing content and utilizing their own networks as well, but doing it in an authentic way that it benefits both themselves and the brand, use your employees as like influencers in a way. It's time we had an honest conversation about social media. This is Heather Pink, your host of Social Media Unlocked. After spending years producing TV and running social media for the NFL, I started my own social media consulting agency. And well, I want to talk and teach more about social media. Through each podcast, I hope to bring you a new perspective on social media through influencers, brands, content creators, and more. So that way it can help you with your personal brand, your brand's content, collaborations, and well, just being more knowledgeable about social media. Imagine this for a second. Tomorrow morning, you wake up, roll over, grab your phone, Maybe the first thing that you check is the news, or maybe it's Instagram and Facebook, and you come to realize they've removed likes. Like, what? All right, don't panic. Don't freak out. Well, if you've been staying up to date on the social media news, you'll know that this is an actual reality. Visible likes have already been removed from Brazil, Canada, Ireland, Italy, Japan, New Zealand, and Australia. And that's exactly where my next guest is from. For the first time, and hopefully not the last, this show goes overseas. Technically, I stayed here in Los Angeles while talking to Brisbane entrepreneur Lachlan Kirkwood. This episode really is what the power of social media can do. Lachlan reached out to me on LinkedIn. Authentically, I will add, saying what a fan he was of the podcast. We had a great conversation, and I decided I had to make him my next guest. He's thriving right now in the space of personal branding, because right now, the business of building your personal brand is bigger than ever. We go over a ton of topics. Of course, we dive into how Australia has moved on from the life of no likes on Instagram and Facebook, and how their content is doing because of that. Also, we talk about how to brand yourself But also, we have an interesting conversation that I hope anybody in the corporate workforce here in America can take notes on, where we talk about how companies should be empowering their employees to be active on social media. Take a listen. Most people are probably listening to this podcast, whether it's in your car uh, or probably in America. I would assume I might get a different audience after uh, today's podcast with Lachlan Kirkwood. We are currently doing this podcast in two different days, right, Lachlan? Yeah, 100% across time zones, which is very exciting. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining Social Media Unlocked. Uh, Lachlan actually reached out to me on LinkedIn, one of our amazing platforms that we've touched on on Social Media Unlocked. So Lachlan, I'm going to give you the floor. Let the Social Media Unlocked podcast uh, audience know a little bit more about you. Yeah, sure thing. And first of all, I just want to say thanks for having me. I'm super excited to hopefully share some insights and a bit of value with your audience. But um, I guess jumping into things, um, my background is certainly across the social landscape. And in the past couple of years, I've worked across um, various tech startups and digital agencies, um, working with both B2C and B2B clients, utilizing paid and organic channels, but really focusing on how we can drive conversion objectives through social media. So a lot of brands out there tend to focus on kind of, we call them better than metrics in Australia. Um, so just focusing on, you know, driving likes and things like that, which is sometimes great if that is what your objective is to do using social media. But what we really strive to do in the past was driving tangible dollar values essentially through social media. So understanding the strategies that we create and how that can actually affect the bottom line of a business, um, which is really powerful and using data to really drive the decisions that we're making through that. Um, 
and look, I've worked with clients across a myriad of industries, um, things like e-commerce, online courses, mining, of course, in Australia, um, and even some consulting. You say um, mining, of course, but I would not know that being here in LA. Yeah, it's a very different industry. Um, so yes, we have opportunities to different clients. Um, and it is really fascinating trying to understand, you know, how those very traditional industries is what I would say, um, you can use digital platforms to actually acquire new clients. And it's been a really interesting learning curve, um, doing that. Um, and as I mentioned, again, just coming back to being able to use data where we can, um, in any shape or form, doesn't need to be too complex to really drive the decisions that we, um, make, but I guess my background, um, specialized a bit more in, I guess, paid social. So I've definitely done things like community management and, um, scheduling organic content and things like that. Um, but yeah, I've had quite a bit of experience across paid channels like Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and even a bit of Snapchat recently. Basically is... you've done a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's I know, I know recently, uh, you said to me that you made the move from full-time job to freelance to work on your brand and all that stuff. So one, congratulations. Um, I know cause I just did that step too. So I know what a huge step that is. Um, I want to go back to one thing just really quickly. You mentioned data twice and I know how important data is to building a brand or making decisions, strategy based decisions. Maybe it's different in Australia, but is there an example you can give me about one data driven thing that you found and you guys, and you helped to change a brand strategy because of it? Yeah, something that just comes to mind and like it's not even a huge or complex um, kind of situation that we were in, but we were just running some paid Facebook ads for an online course um, and this client um, for about six months was running some lead gen ads building into an online course um, and what we did was after that six-month period, we exported all of that Facebook ad data about the demographics of the people who have actually converted and the people who have engaged with the ads. Um, and what we did was, yeah, we just created some kind of um, structuring in like an Excel spreadsheet, very manual, but we were able to see um, the ages of the most engaged users, the most people who had converted, um, the genders of them, their location, and then we could identify trends about who was the cheapest to acquire through those lead generation ads um, and who was the most expensive and who wasn't converting as much. And then what we did was we were able to exclude those demographics from the paid audiences, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you are working in like the scale of those things and you can minimize ad spends on particular areas, um, it really just helped drive more value to the right audiences which then when we started running the online course paid ads, we were able to really refine our targeting, drive more accurate conversions off that. So. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a brand and they mentioned to me that sure, they put some effort into organic, but it's really about paid. It's really about hitting paid home. So in your experience working with certain brands, what is sort of the balance between organic and paid? Yeah, it's a really fine question and I'm hearing a lot of people now say that, you know, organic's dead and um, it's really hard to just start, for instance, like a Facebook page from scratch and grow that to, you know, a large audience. And I think that the fine balance um, in my personal experience is um, really kind of leveraging organic through paid. So if you've got like an organic post, um, making sure you can allocate some sort of uh, ad spend to even just promote that post. So it doesn't need to be like an ad. It can just be a promoted post. Um, so that way you can target new audiences just so you can make sure that they can see that content. 
Um, and I think the other really good strategy I've used in the past is around user-generated content. So if you're encouraging users to leave like reviews or something on their social accounts or if, you know, some sort of a video testimonial, um, just getting permission to republish that. And then again, just putting some money behind that. So it kind of helps build social proof through a paid ad. So I think that there is starting to be a really good kind of crossover between paid and organic at the moment. Um, it's really interesting to see. Yeah. Do you think every company has to have both in their strategy? Yeah, 100%. I think you can't do one without the other. Um, definitely organic helps build that initial traction and pay can really help amplify that. I love that. Um, so you mentioned to me um, one of the biggest things that you had experience in is obviously paid, but two was personal branding. And I feel like everybody these days is starting a new brand, right? Their own personal brand, whatever, whatnot. Um, tell me a little bit more about it. Tell the audience a little bit more about it. Yeah, I think we live in a time where um, I heard a good quote recently is that brands are becoming people and people are becoming brands. Um, I think that users or consumers are really wanting to have a personal or authentic connection with the people that they're purchasing or doing business with. Um, so I think now is the right time where, yeah, personal branding is becoming such an important thing. And I guess my journey started when I entered the digital industry about four years ago. And, you know, I, I was fresh out of university and I was a student. I didn't have any experience. And what I wanted to do was just create a blog and document my journey just so for my own self-record, I could go back and review all the work that I'd done. And I knew that if I was to ever want to apply for a job, um, I could show what I was actually capable of producing um, just to kind of help me get that experience. Um, and then it kind of snowballed over time where I eventually just saw myself growing a bit of an audience organically just through sharing content. Um, and then, yeah, it just really scaled to the point now where I'm trying to add as much value as possible to the industry. And I think that's really what personal branding means to me is about sharing value with an audience um, and really trying to get them to resonate with what your uh, personal message is yourself or the content that you're sharing. Um, and look, I mean, we just had a quick conversation for this call and personal branding is so powerful in that, in that it can open so many opportunities. Um, for myself, when it came to moving into a freelance role, I was able to comfortably do that just because um, people already trusted um, the work that I was creating. And because I was openly sharing it, they were able to see examples of what I was actually capable of producing. So, I mean, winning things like work or back when you know, I was applying for jobs, it was much easier because I had that personal brand and a bit of a reputation in the industry. What stuff have you taken from your full-time job and bring it into your personal brand? You're like, I already know that. I don't, I don't have to reteach or, or like, you know, I can yeah. take that step forward because that, I mean, essentially it's experience, right? But what, what more specifically have you been able to take with you? Yeah. So I try and, be, and this is going to sound a bit strange, but I envision myself as a product. So my personal brand is the product of Lachlan Kirkwood. Um, and so it's almost like product marketing and my background is in tech startups. So things uh, move very quickly. Um, so one thing I've learned is to just iterate on your content and just publish it. It doesn't need to be polished, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, so at, like the startups I was working at, we were moving so quickly with products we were building and we had to kind of just get stuff out the door. And even though you know, we didn't know it was perfect, it was just a case of um, just getting it done as opposed to kind of dwelling on it and not, not publishing it. And that was something that I've really kind of uh, reflected on my own personal brand is that when I'm publishing content, 
Um, yes, I want it to be able to add value to users, but I'm not going to sit there and dwell and, you know, wonder if everything's grammatically correct, although I will try my best to get it. Of course, you have to. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like just knowing that going into it, knowing that it's not going to be perfect. And and even now, like looking back on some of the content that I've written, you know, a year ago, like I look at that and I just think, what was I, what was I thinking? But at the time it was, it was right. It was accurate. And I think every brand might have that, you know, if a larger brand was to go back on their social media accounts three years ago, they might have a completely different brand message or something like that. So just being able to know that it's not going to be perfect and just getting it out the door um, and just doing it, I guess, is something that I've mm-hmm. definitely taken from my full-time job and applied to my personal brand. So you say um, just getting out, doing your own personal brand. Okay. So if someone's sitting at home and they say, well, I want to do my own personal brand, where are you investing your time and energy into your own personal brand and getting your own brand out there? Yes, there's probably two means of it. And it could be different just because of the countries that we're in. Um, but uh, first of all, is just creating content and whether that be on your own blog. So I just have a WordPress blog that I publish content onto. Um, that's just my platform for it. You can use other platforms like Medium. That's pretty big in Australia at the moment. Um, and then really leveraging LinkedIn. That's my kind of go-to child for personal branding. Um, Twitter, not so much over here in Australia, which could be a bit different for you guys over there. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn has so many opportunities and you can share so much content, so much value and really connect with people across the industry. I mean, just like we have here and you know, this has led to a new opportunity. Um, and yeah, you never know like who you're going to connect to and you kind of just have to put it out there. Yeah, absolutely. As anybody would, I was doing my research and I found your Instagram page, uh, Little did I know that you do BMX tricks. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mostly my favorite videos are the ones of you falling. I'm so sorry. Uh, 100%. You've got to put those ones out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my own humor. Um, yeah. so you have this really cool other personality. I mean, do you try to mix your own sort of BMX, your other things that you do into your professional type of brand? Are they separate? Um, in your mind, how do you envision that? They were always separate but until recently now that people are you know starting to search myself across other platforms um yeah they're really starting to find it and enjoy just seeing kind of the authentic who i am and what i do in my free time which has been really interesting um because yeah traditionally i mean you'd go through there you wouldn't find one digital marketing thing on there and my audience is completely different like if you were to use like a let's say like an influence marketing tool to find out who my audience was and what their interests were. It'd be completely different to what my LinkedIn audience is. So for me, Twitter is like a good combination of both of those content between professional and authentic. Um, but yeah, I am starting to see that um, people, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, they really want to know who you are authentically. So I'm yeah. definitely looking at, you know, kind of aggregating that content together. So Lachlan, you do have your own, uh, you accompany somebody else on a different podcast called the Digital Deep Dive, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. I listened to a couple episodes. They were great. One, I know I had a TikTok influencer on social media unlocked. You had an episode about TikTok, uh, also within your brand that we just talked about, the BMX. There's tons of super fun videos of Lachlan doing BMX fun tricks on his TikTok. So... My question is, where do you see TikTok in people's personal brands? Let's say outside, because not everybody is uh, as skillful on a bike as you are uh, in their personal brands, but also in like a business format. Yeah, I think that TikTok, that is a great question. I think that TikTok is 
really at a kind of infliction point right now. And again, it could be different um, just based on the usage in America versus Australia. But like in the last month, it's only started kind of getting some traction here. Um, but it was something that I'd heard about since it was musically. So I'd been trying to kind of jump on the platform since then. Um, I think that it is used by a certain demographic, so more of a younger audience traditionally. Um, so if your personal brand is um, targeting an audience in that demographic, it's definitely something you should do. What I love about TikTok though is that the content on there needs to be 100% authentic. Like people can really uh, resonate with the content that isn't polished and it's funny. Like it needs to be something almost that like purposely isn't polished. Um, just so people can kind of see the flaws in who you are as a person or the jokes that you're able to create. Um, yeah, it's really interesting at the moment that I, I, I honestly, I couldn't give you a solid answer on that. No, I, do I mean, think, it's a conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I think it's something that needs to be said around this point, because as I said, in Australia right now, like I, I can, I maybe think of a handful of brands that are actually using TikTok. Um, but from what I've seen, like they've utilized it really well. Um, it's, yeah, again, just trying to create content that is authentic and actually adds some value to a user. So whether it be value in terms of, um, you know, like a joke that makes them enjoy their time watching that video or something that actually shares um, like a lesson or something like that. So yeah, it is really strange. I think that if you are creating content for TikTok through your personal brand, um, try and utilize um, things like some of the challenges or songs. You, it wouldn't be the same kind of if you were to just shoot a video for LinkedIn. It wouldn't need to be, you know, just a straightforward video um, of yourself talking for 60 seconds. That's not going to work on the platform. So you need to try and integrate a bit of a strategy around kind of that, you know, social fun element to it. Yeah. Have you seen anyone utilize it just out of kind of curiosity through their personal brand in a professional um, well, I had a TikTok influencer, Denver McQuaid, on this podcast. And I, I tell people about him because he is literally, I don't know what, I think his brand is called the Digital Magician because uh, some of his stuff, I th know he did some dancing and some, some fun stuff, but he does these simple type of edits that would, you watch a video, it's 15 seconds long and it's, you know, a shirt appearing out of sand, out of nowhere. And it's these fun, super things that are funny it is yep. his personality, and uh, but I haven't seen. I know not a lot of people my age use it. Um, my sister is younger than me; she's about four years younger than me. She doesn't use it, so I think it's interesting because obviously that demographic is going to be the spending demo. Not now, maybe in maybe five years, but yeah. um, I don't think a single brand has really figured it out, especially here in America. Yeah, it's interesting. And it is, yeah, honestly, like it's a lot of question marks around it right now. Um, like a lot of people asking, you know, is it really going to stay around? And I, I think it's probably the first platform in years that has actually not only got a solid amount of traction, but has been around for as long as it has. Because I know things like Vero and that came up in Australia about a year, year and a half ago, and they kind of disappeared in a month. Whereas TikTok, to be honest, it's had the most traction so far. Yeah. So. Okay, so I have to ask, so excuse my ignorance. I okay. almost want to I want to compare notes and I want to compare what are the most popular platforms on social in Australia. I know I'm probably asking a more biased opinion and yep. maybe I'll compare notes with the best ones and maybe they match up. Maybe they maybe they already do and I don't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like we draw a lot of influence from America. So 
it, we're probably going to be behind if anything. But people love Instagram. Instagram is probably like the biggest social platform here. Um, if you're a business, you need to go on Instagram. Um, but now it's kind of getting to that point where it's a little saturated. Um, LinkedIn is surprisingly becoming huge in Australia at the moment. Um, Facebook's still pretty big. Um, a lot of people, probably similar to what you've experienced in America, it's more polished these days. Like a lot of people just tend to post like life events and things like that on Facebook. But in terms of ad targeting, like as a digital marketer's perspective, it's still one of the best platforms that we could utilize over here. One of the most cost-effective ones. Um, we, as I said, I no one uses Twitter in Australia. Like it's, I don't know why I love it as a platform. Um, but if I go to a digital marketing event and there's like a hashtag for the event, I will literally be the only person posting that hashtag. <laughs> it's very sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of value in Twitter. Um, and Snapchat's also pretty big. And as I said, in the past month, kind of TikTok's had, um, like I'm starting to see some of my younger friends who also ride BMX bikes starting to kind of use the platform now. And, yeah, it's really interesting. What do you guys have over there? Is it much the same? Or? It's pretty on par, I would say, because Instagram for sure is by far and away the number one most active users probably between all the platforms. And I would say that then there's all this like, you know, Facebook is the older demo that is on it. That's the first sort of social app that they'll click on, but they won't post, they'll interact. The younger demo will not go on there unless absolutely necessary. Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn, I know has been huge. They've made a huge surge. I feel like in the past, for sure, six mm. months or a year, I, I know that that, that kind of seems pretty similar and Snapchat sort of came back out of nowhere. Cause I think with Snapchat, the privacy of being able to have one-to-one -one with those videos is something that just isn't really going away. You know, people want to connect yeah. with people like that. And I know Instagram has just been trying to do everything. They want to be, you know, and it's like for some reason they're still not putting Snapchat out of business no matter how hard they try. Yeah. Um, but Twitter also is really big here. I know Twitter is huge in the sports community because that's where I came from, my background being in sports for a long time. Um, and Twitter's still really big, live events. Like, for example, I mean, for the most part, if I'm – catching up on the Emmys or really big award ceremony. Sometimes the first platform I'll go to is Twitter or I'll go to like the sources Instagram page. Yeah, yeah. The highlight videos are, it's weird. I mean, also too, our president is on Twitter and yeah. likes to say lots of things. <laughs> yeah. We, we definitely get that over here. Uh, we, we, we watch all that firsthand. <laughs> How is that? Is that like eating popcorn in the back watching? Yeah. It's so different um, and touchy area but like I mean a lot of I it, it's a, so I can't believe you know it's a much bigger country in America so obviously political decisions are you know much bigger to make over there and but yeah it is very entertaining I'll say that oh I wish I was in your shoes for that <laughs> aspect <laughs> it sounds like like you know a lot of different social platforms what's probably overall overarching favorite um, thing about social media that, that you enjoy? Yeah, I think it's the amount of, and this is going to be different for everyone, I guess, but like the amount of value that you can get out of it if you're using it 
properly, I guess. And what I kind of touch back on is Twitter for me is fantastic because um, I can use it both for work and for just like my lifestyle in terms of, you know, consuming content. Like you said, if there's an event, um, I know that they've just made some updates with like lists. Um, So like I tend to have a list of um, like product makers that I follow um, because I'm quite active in that community. Um, So I can follow those particular accounts and I can see, you know, new features coming to products. And then at the same time, I can have another list for like my BMX bike. So I can see any creators um, publishing content on that. So like I I personally really get the most value out of Twitter. Um, And yeah, for social media in general, like I think that you can, there's just an abundance of content. And if you know how to filter out like the the content that you want, you can find so much value in it. Um, and I guess for me, just because I go into it with the mindset of wanting to learn something from it. Um, but yeah, there's just so much educational content out there, which is fantastic. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. I find it amazing. I think a lot of people find it overwhelming every, every day from an organic content perspective. Do you feel pressure? Cause you are your own brand. You're doing blogs. Um, do you feel pressure to be creating content all the time? Yeah, hundred um, percent. To be honest, though, I found that it's kind of become addictive. Um, so when I first started, I um, set myself the objective of um, having to publish one blog a month. That was kind of I told myself I'd be happy just doing that. And then once I got comfortable with writing, and again, my experience just kind of got a little bit better and better in terms of my creative process and how long it would take me to kind of. Um, publish content and then you know it moved up to two blogs a month and then we started building an audience and yeah there was a little bit of pressure I guess in terms of having to um, fulfill that but um, it's really interesting you ask because I guess over the past couple of weeks like I've just started to kind of notice that I'm starting to feel a bit burnt out in a way and yesterday I published on LinkedIn that I was just gonna take the day off and then that got really good engagement which was surprising and a lot of people commented and said you know like you know, you deserve it. Like take the day off. We appreciate everything you shared. And it was kind of, again, just trying to be authentic as possible with my audience. So letting them know that, you know, if I'm not going to create something, I'm just not going to do it. And it got really good engagement, which was surprising. But yeah, there is definitely pressure. So, I mean, you're someone that you do have to create content. Take me through or take like the audience through what an average week in the life of Lachlan looks like. Because I know for me, one week I could be doing two client shoots, a couple client meetings. And then in between there, I'm trying to do some pitch decks, sending emails, and then trying to do my own stuff on top of that, where also some weeks I am very chill and I get to actually watch some TV, which doesn't happen very often. But what about you? Good question. Um, Very similar to yourself, I feel. Um, So I'm very um, big on like the time blocks that I allocate myself. So I through freelance, um, I have, I guess, the Lachlan Kirkwood product. And then I also have another product um, called ClickThrough, which is like a platform I'm building at the moment. Um, so I'm really particular about how I allocate my time. And I use Trello. I don't know if you've used that with the project management tool. Um, so it's really good in terms of just, it's like a Kanban board essentially where you can um, create tasks, you can allocate time slots to them, and you can really just prioritize everything and get a sense of what you need to do. So I'm really big on planning, I guess. Um, so I'll normally allocate um, time in the morning. So I'm really big on reading the latest industry news as well, which I feel like is essential in the social media industry just because so much changes that it's really important that you need to remain on the forefront of that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll normally spend about you know two hours a day in total, probably reading news across the industry, across a lot of blogs or Twitter accounts that I tend to follow. Um, and then really allocating a good amount of time to some client work that I can work on and knowing that um, like that is my blocked out period for that. And then um, after that, allocating another time block to the Lachlan Kirkwood brand and being able to allocate time blocks is really a good use of my time because I know that I only have that certain amount of period. So like I need to get something done in that period. Um, and then also just allocating time off to, you know, go for a run or go for a ride on my bike um, just to kind of clear my mind and my thought process. So yeah, for me, it's just a lot of like planning. And as I said, just those time blocks really help me know what I need to get done in certain periods. So yeah. You sound like me. I'm a planner organizer. I'm also frequently the one that is texting our clients like, hey, reminder, make sure to do this, make sure to do that. Uh, Do you find that maybe some people your age aren't as dedicated to time structure? Uh, Because it's really essential to maybe how you've gotten to get away from your full-time job to be able to do your own brand. Yeah. um, I mean don't want to sound vain here, but like in Brisbane, particularly where I live, like one of the big benefits to my personal brain is that not many other people do it. And it's just because like the market's not as big in terms of how many digital marketers there are in Brisbane versus in some, some of the cities in America. Um, and yeah, one of the benefits is that I'm probably one of the few people actually doing this. So you know, it wasn't hard to really get things off the ground. Um, and, you know, once I started getting traction, like it really started to work. So, yeah, it was, it was really good benefit, I guess. And <laughs> I, I'd, I'd encourage anyone to do it. Like it's, it's, it's hard work, but it's not like mentally draining, I guess. Yeah. I want to pose the question to you. Maybe it's something that you've said earlier, but just want to reiterate, or maybe it's something new. What is one of the biggest mistakes you've seen with people, whether it's the person as a brand or a brand as a brand? within social media? That is a, a phenomenal question. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an answer. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that someone can make um, from a personal perspective is trying to make themselves like an official brand. So I myself, like the way that I speak, the content that I publish, like as I said, it is very raw and authentic and um, things like, you know, I'll use emojis in my posts and things like that, which I'm sure a lot of brands do as well too. But I'm trying not to be the corporate kind of brand for my personal brand, if you get what I mean. Like I'm trying to make it sound like, you know, they're just having a conversation with Falkland Kirkwood um, so that they can feel like they're a part of my network, um, which is what I want to do. So I think that some big mistakes I've seen and particularly from, I guess, some older people in my network is that when they do publish content, and of course it's great that they are publishing content, but they try and make it seem like it's from a corporate company um, when it's actually from a person and it doesn't really get the most engagement just because it's not relatable in a way. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I've seen um, Yeah, across that. But yeah, that's a good question. What about you? Have you got any particular kind of thoughts on that? Oh, I have many thoughts on that. I think for me, a lot of it has to do with the psych right? Of approaching social media. Mistakes that we've heard that we've seen is that, oh, social takes so much time out out, or, Mm -hmm. oh, I have to be on every platform or all these sort of like, and to be honest with you, it's just like excuses, lack of knowledge and this preconceived notions about social media that, yeah, sure. They're true. If you want them to be true, you know, like, sure. You could spend two hours 
on Instagram in the discover page or going through your homepage and really killing your time, or you can be efficient with it. Right. Or, um, like I tell a lot of people, I tell a lot of people, if you're looking for a new job and you're not already active on LinkedIn, just go on for five minutes a day. It's like yeah. it's as simple as that, but don't just go on, like be meaningful with that time, make new connections. Like you just reach out to me and it was like authentic, right? It was, you reached out, you said, Hey, and I've gotten personally spammed so much recently on LinkedIn where someone's like, accept and like, Hey, I just want to connect. And then I get this massive, hi, like you want to, I'm good. Yeah. Oh yeah. They just need to be a person. I think you made a really good point though about um, just getting started. And I kind of touched on that earlier, but yeah, like it, it doesn't take much to, and I think that, you know, you could have personal brand as your end objective, but you just need to take those small steps to actually get there. So it could be a case of, as you said, just jumping on and maybe for the first month you need to just, you know, like posts, you need to understand how the platform functions and then you can really understand what value you can start contributing. And then maybe the next month you could just be commenting, which is the next step. And then, you know, you could take the lead to actually publishing, but you're right. I think the best thing you could do is just get started and if it's bad, just delete it, which I'm sure you wouldn't get there, but like, yeah, it's always an option. Yeah. I know one thing too, like you kind of touched on it, but I want to almost take it a step further. One of the biggest things I think people aren't taking advantage of specifically, I'll say use LinkedIn because it's less noisy right now. And it's sort of the space for, I know a lot of target demos with respect to like the spending persona is that your own person can be an extension of your brand in a way that like, you should be posting that organic content or like that authentic content that isn't like, Hey, here's this job posting in the company. It's like, no, that's not what that should be. Right. right? It should be something that's, Hey, look what this fun project, that specific project that I worked on. And then this cute little story about it, right. That I'm not going to see on like, you know, I worked for the NFL and so I didn't post as much on LinkedIn when I was working there uh, only because there's a lot of things that they do and don't want you to post to the public for, yeah. I, I'll, I'll just say that and I won't go any further. <laughs> but um, when I tell people, uh, you know, where I worked and they're like, oh, have you got to meet any famous players or things like that? In some of the stories I tell them, like, I'll just show them one photo, right? Of me and maybe Von Miller. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with oh, NFL. I, I can understand the, the notion of it. Yeah. And I show them a photo and he's one of, he's one of the more famous players. And I sh- you know, tell them, oh yeah, I was on a photo shoot with them years ago. And some of those types of things, that's the extension you need to be for your brand. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, where like you can have, you as a CEO can have your own strategy and you as the company can have totally different strategies. Like you are also your own CEO too, which as am I, but I think from like a bigger brand perspective, they're not thinking, they're thinking of only here's the company's strategy, but they're not thinking of, well, what's the CEO strategy? What's the VP strategy? Do they even have one? Like, you know, not all of them have to be on LinkedIn. Maybe some of them have really cool side things like be it mixing that is really awesome to showcase on Instagram. Um, mm. And I think that's one of the things that it's just taking that step further where if you really want to build your brand and build awareness, it's like, well, how can you be building awareness while still continuing to be authentic, but still building the story of your brand? You know, I'm all for um, like empowering employees. And that's something that 
um, at some of the tech startups I've worked at, obviously being startups, like we don't have a pile of cash to just throw at paid acquisition channels. So one thing we always used really well was just like empowering our employees to publish content just because as well as like a lot of the algorithms will recognize content published from user accounts as opposed to brand profiles and prioritize that within the feeds. So if you can, you know, really empower your employees to um, start publishing content, utilizing their own networks as well, but doing it in an authentic way that it benefits both themselves and the brand. So one thing we did a lot was like things like ghostwriting. So I was like a content writer um, and I'd sit down with each employee and say, hey, is there something you want to publish or is there a project you've worked on? Um, and I'd just get them to send through like a list of bullet points about what they did with that. I'd flesh that out into a post and then let them kind of make any changes so it sounded like it was written by them and, you know, getting them to publish it. So that worked really well in the past too. So it was a really good point you made actually. I loved that story though. I think a lot of company, like a lot of companies don't do that here. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. A lot of like recruitment companies do it really well in Brisbane. Um, just because, you know, digital recruiters we find need to be like embedded in the industry and the ones who are really active and the ones that are adding value to the industry, like if they reach out to you, you're not going to just kind of shove them off as another recruiter. You're going to be more inclined to actually have a proper conversation with them because they've added value to you before they've actually asked for something from you. So if someone were to try to pitch what you just said to their boss and said, we need to be start doing more empowerment with our employees and getting them more into social, how, like, what's a piece of advice that you would give them? Kind of taking it just back to that authentic piece. So don't be forceful with your employees. Like if your employees don't use LinkedIn, like there's no point in trying to sell them or force them to do it because then it's just going to seem like a, really bad like influencer post and that's the way you should look at it is use your employees as like influencers in a way um and like all good influencer marketing you should you know have an authentic piece of content you should let the influencer have a big say in the content that they create and then yeah you should run it back by the company and just triple check everything's acceptable um but yeah really empower your employees and again just have a really good structure around it so we were using things like trello just so we could um, maintain or monitor, I guess, all the content that was going in and out um, and just really allocating time for it. And it doesn't need to be a huge slot of time, um, but maybe, you know, half an hour after your lunch break on a Friday, everyone should just have a dedicated half an hour just to writing content. And then you can, you know, publish that next week on Monday when everyone comes back. So really just like embedding it in the core of the actual culture itself is something that's really important. I love that. I totally love that. All right. Before I let you go, I want to ask, because I, I always find this fascinating. Um, it's always different for every person. And of course, it's going to be even, I hope, even more different because you're in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that as much as I possibly can. Where, maybe um, broad and specific. Where do you see the future of social within social, like platform specific? Where do you see the future uh, of social going? It's a huge question. Um, <laughs> I think that there's a, probably a couple of key areas and I won't take up too much of your time. Um, I think that, as you mentioned earlier, social is becoming more private and that's something that definitely Facebook's been kind of iterating their products towards. So things like Messenger, WhatsApp, um, Threads, the new Instagram app that's built for direct messaging. Um, like everyone wants to have private conversations, which is really good to see. The other big area I see um, is social commerce. So this is kind of where Instagram is going at the moment with their native product checkout. 
um, and a lot of like the um, product tags that you can add into posts. Um, it's probably something we don't have experience, but have you used WeChat at all? No, I've never WeChat. Yeah. Okay. So here's a bit of research for you. Um, so WeChat's the biggest um, app in China. Um, so it's their equivalent, I guess, of it's like a mixture of Instagram, WhatsApp, and Facebook all combined into one. Um, now it's their social platform, um, but brands can actually sell products directly on it. Um, and it's probably one of their biggest commerce platforms in China. And it's got like a lot of like payment wallets and things like that built into it. So it's also like a combination of PayPal and Stripe as well. Um, so yeah, users actually like purchase their groceries in WeChat, which is like a social platform, which is really strange, sounds strange to us, but over there it's, um, it's like a super app almost because people can also build apps within WeChat. Um, so if you're a particular brand, you can build a, um, app experience within WeChat. Um, so yeah, check that out. But that I think that fascinating. That sounds like the monopoly of all social media platforms. It is. And it's okay because it's in China. Like it's that, <laughs> like the core user base over there. Um, I think it's, it's Tencent that owns it. It is Tencent that owns it. Um, so they're like the Google equivalent in China. Um, and yeah, I see Instagram almost becoming like that. The other kind of platform I see becoming bigger, as we mentioned, is TikTok. I just think that it really is getting some good traction. Um, I think there are like maybe 800 million total users from an article that I've recently read, over a billion downloads, but 800 unique users, which, you know, when you put it into perspective, Instagram's got like 1.2 billion, I think. So it is like starting to catch up. Um, it'd just be interesting to see when they start rolling out like monetization features or an actual ad platform. So we don't have access to that in Australia. I don't know if you do in America yet, but everyone's kind of like itching out for them to release their self-serving ad platform. And it'll be really interesting to see how those perform versus a platform like Instagram. Um, I'm like, yeah. still trying to figure out TikTok here. That is... Okay. I'm glad it, that we're not really far behind. No. <laughs> I was worried there. I mean... <laughs> Some people are still trying to figure out the native ones for, you know, I think even like LinkedIn, people underutilize the paid platforms of LinkedIn because they don't, because people haven't seen it as a traditional social media platform where they invest into it, invest more than just time. Yeah. Yeah. Really good actually. Yeah. But yeah, I'd be interested to know what, like, what are your thoughts just quickly on like, do you see anything different in the future? I think overall, I think people are, going to just continue to be a little bit more private. I am seeing this trend now and it hurts is that people are afraid to post. And I hate that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I hate that thought because people are like, Oh, I want to be an influencer and influencers. Every post looks perfect. Well, to be honest with you, you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. You, you know, you don't know how much money this person has. Maybe they have a photographer that walks around with them all the time. Maybe their significant other is actually amazing at photography and it's just like an added bonus. But the fact is there's so much comparison right now in our sort of social media space of comparing, oh, well, I don't want to post because I want mine to look perfect. And there really isn't like a notion of perfect and it kind of drives me crazy. That's why I like, I mean, sure, I have friends that take nice photos, but I also want to have my own feed to look as organic and authentic yeah. as possible. Um, and people are just, they'll go on Instagram and they'll, they'll passively just scroll. They'll like, they'll engage. But I think that they don't have as much confidence anymore to be posting. 
Mm. Um, and I don't think that's going to go away, unfortunately, or at least, you know, or, or they do, they'll shift their, you know, focus back to Snapchat where it's back to actually being able to post, but only post, you know, yeah, yeah. people. I know. I yeah. think, I think that some of the older generation were thinking that the younger demo was just going to be always on their phone all the time. Right. And, and never having person to person like interactions. And I think that they're going to start getting to a point, And I think we all are where it's like, yeah, you actually do have to get out in the world and make those connections like face to face spending time. Like the amount of time I take out of my week to make sure I see my friends talk to my certain networks um, is super important to me because I don't ever want to lose that sort of relationship. Yeah, you know? yeah. We, um, so I don't know if you guys have in the States yet, but we were a part of the first experiment to remove likes off Instagram and Facebook. So we don't have likes anymore on Instagram. Like you can like stuff, but you can't see um, the likes on someone else's post. Only the actual publisher can see that. Um, and like, yeah, every influencer is freaking out and really worried. And even myself, like I was a bit worried about what that would do to my engagement rates on my personal account. And I found that it actually performs better now, which is really strange um, just because... Um, well, first of all, there's no pressure to post anymore. Um, so like there's, what's the point? No one's going to be able to, you know, see the amount of likes that you have on a post. Lachlan, um, you should have started with this and then I would have backed yeah, it. Like, got it. The whole conversation. I, I mean, it. I was like, oh yeah, they're not posting. And you're like, you know, and actually, <laughs> and I feel better about posting. It's like, oh, well, there we yeah. go. So that's probably the one benefit to being in Australia is that because we are a smaller country, they tend to test features on, you know, a small population before they roll it out to the bigger um, utilization um, countries. And yeah, so they removed likes maybe a month ago. Um, and yeah, everyone initially was a bit worried about kind of the content, um, like not getting engagement. And as I said, mine actually increased engagement just because my audience, like there was, I don't know, they, if they really authentically liked my content, they would, you know, like it without, you know, needing to see that a hundred other people liked it. So it was really interesting. And yeah, Facebook removed the likes last week. Um, and yeah, it's just a really interesting space now. And I think, um, like I'm, I'm starting to hear that people are feeling less pressure now to post, which is good. Um, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how that rolls out in the States for you guys. So definitely let me know if or when that comes to you guys and then let me know your thoughts on how it goes. I'd be really interested to hear. I mean, it sounds like we're going to be next. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I know that it's not going to go down without a fight that can probably say that for a fact. Yeah. yeah, it's such a huge shift in the way that social platforms have pretty much ran the history of them. But it's all like up here. It's all cognitive in the way that you think about it. Like I can't wait for that to happen because it's so, it just makes it sound so, so like superficial. Like, oh, I only have a hundred likes on this. Mm. Like post something cause you want to post it. Yep. You know, Definitely. Uh, Lachlan, thank you so much for taking the time out. Tell everyone where they can find you, including your, your website click through. Yeah. So I guess on Twitter, I'm just at Lachlan Kirkwood on LinkedIn, Lachlan Kirkwood again. Um, my personal blog is LachlanKirkwood.com. That's where I mentioned that I publish everything that I do um, with my day-to-day digital marketing work. And then click through as well, which is my latest project, which is um, like a community of digital marketing case studies. That's at clickthrough.marketing. So plenty of places where you can find me and you know, I'm always open for a chat if anyone wants to catch up and <laughs> hear some thoughts. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a treat. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Social Media Unlocked. Please take a moment to review this podcast in the iTunes store. If you want to learn more about me and my social media experience, go to www.heather.pink or find me on Instagram at heatherpink27. And if you're looking for help in creating a social media department or building a social media brand, my consulting agency Pink Deer is here to help. Visit www.pinkdeerllc.com for more info.